Paul was talking about putting off the old person and putting on the new person. He was talking about this completely new lifestyle that has been given to us by God because of what Jesus did for us. We put off the old self and we put on the new self. And then Paul here is going to describe, okay, well, what does that look like in real time? Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed For the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. John 10.10, we'll start with that also, not just Ephesians chapter 4, is a passage that has been deeply misunderstood in the course of the Christian life. This is the passage where Jesus says, I have come to give them life and life abundantly. You've heard it probably before. I have come to give them life, another translation, and I've come to give them life To the full. Well, what happens with that particular passage, and what is going to confuse us this morning, unless we clear it up first, is that we conflate that saying by Jesus Christ with our American notion of the good life. We've all heard it, right? We strive for the good life, or you hear about the American dream, perhaps. And basically, we, uh, we identify that as you can fulfill all of your selfish desires. Whatever you want, that's what God wants to give you too. And so, so many churches and so many ministries have baptized that saying by Jesus and said, just get connected with Jesus, do some stuff for God, and He is going to bring all of your desires to fruition, everything that you could possibly imagine, blah, 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 blah. Right? You've heard it before. You've heard some version of that before. I actually like the version by the poet-prophet-rapper who was a one-hit wonder in the early 90s. And his name was Skilo. And he put it eloquently when he said, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good I would call her. I wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a 6'4 Impala. He wished for a lot of things, but I think, honestly, that is just a great description of the human heart. There's a lot of things 
that all of us wish for. What, what do you wish for? What are some of the things that you feel would give you the good life? That would complete the circle? That would make your life full of happiness and goodness? We all have wishes. And the Bible does not say all wishes are bad, obviously. But many of our wishes are truly selfish, like wishing that we were a baller. You know, I mean, sometimes that takes practice. But y'all, the Bible teaches us that we don't truly understand our own hearts. And so even when we think, okay, God, I think God wants to give me this, generally speaking, it's something different that God actually needs to give us. And the Bible describes for us what it is if our hearts were in tune with God's heart, what is it that would truly fulfill our desires? If our, the tuning fork of our own hearts were tuned to God's heart, what would really give us life to the full? Paul describes it right here in Ephesians chapter 4. He says the full life is life where we are deeply connected in intimacy with God and with other people. And you know and I know Both of those are difficult things. They don't come easy, and they're not the first thing we think about when we wake up in the morning. A lot of times when we wake up in the morning, we're like, okay, what do I want today? I want a great meal, or I want to buy something off Amazon, my wish list on Amazon, perhaps. Right? We're not thinking, how do I connect more deeply with God today? Or how do I connect more deeply with the people in my life that irritate the snot out of me? We just don't think that way. But Paul says, look, You can have it. You can have what God has shown to be the true desire of your heart. And it's going to be very practical when Paul describes it. He says, here are the ways that you can get it. Here are the ways, says Paul, that you can put off the old self, the corrupt self, he calls it, the thing with all its nasty old desires, and you can get the good life. He calls it the new life. He calls it the new self. Let's get down into the nitty-gritty. Let's get down into the practical ways that we can truly find intimacy with God and with one another. It's better than you expected. In fact, it's superfluous. Do you know the definition of that word? Superfluous? More than you need. It's so good that it's extra. It's like all that and a bag of chips. Okay, so let's start. So here's your first one. Full of Christ, empty of self. And I confess, this is a little bit of a recap from last week, but it's really important for us to recap. Paul describes for the next several verses, and in fact, the next several chapters in the book of Ephesians, what is known as the ethics of the Christian life. But it's very important for us to understand as we get into the nitty-gritty of the ethics of the Christian life, what they are grounded upon. This is not the ethics of the Greek life or the Stoic life or the life of other philosophies, of other religions. Because you're going to find, if you study other religions, if you study other philosophies, that they're going to say a lot of the same things. Right? What religion or what philosophy doesn't tell you to stop being angry? Or don't steal from other people. Instead, work hard 
and make money for yourself and for those around you that you love. Right? I mean, pretty much any philosophy or any other religion is going to say these things. So we have to be careful that we understand what is it about the Christian ethic that is different. And my contention is that it truly is different than those other philosophies. And here is the difference. Those philosophies and those religions are grounded upon just appealing to your selfish desires. Well, you want to be a nice person, don't you? You want to be more ethical than you are today, right? And so they just appeal to the sense of like, you should be a better person. You should do more good things in your life. You stink. Self-help books all say this, right? There's the one that's popular right now. I can't remember the name of the author, but she says, girl, wash your face. You know, so it's this idea that why don't you just go and clean yourself up a little bit? We all know we need to get cleaner than we are now, don't we? So the self-help books and the philosophies are like, you, you need to be cleaner. Just go wash your face, etc., etc., etc. They'll throw some Bible verses in to back themselves up, but it's all the same garbledy gook. Paul says, nope, it's different for you. You are new. You are a new person. You have a new identity. You are different than you were before. This is not just buck up that same old self that was always around and wash that face up. It is you are a completely new being. Everything about you has been transformed because of the power of God moving into your life. You have a new identity. Okay, I was like, Nathan, you needed to give some descriptions of this. I thought of one this week. I went online and I looked up what are some of the most valuable celebrity items that have gone up for auction? Here's a couple of them. One was the dress that Marilyn Monroe wore in that like... Um, yes, thank you. Whatever. It, the thing that, where the air was blowing up, she had that dress on. You know how much that dress went for? Anybody? Anybody? $4.3 million. Obviously, that dress does not have that kind of intrinsic value, does it? That dress, intrinsically, as a piece of clothing, is not worth $4.3 million. But guess what? It's been touched by someone famous. Some other items, if you look them up on the internet, that have been touched by people famous are Michael Jackson's studded gloves. Do you remember from some of his videos, he would wear these diamond-studded gloves? Those go for in the ballpark of $300,000, a pop. Um, then also, I, so those are just some of the clothing items or items that are worn by celebrities. But I also looked up autographs. What makes it valuable when somebody signs something? Does anybody have an item in your house that's been autographed by someone famous? Anybody? 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 Yeah, a few of you. Okay, like a baseball, perhaps, by like some baseball star who signed it. Now, the most valuable autograph currently today as we speak is Steve Jobs. So, in general, if Steve Jobs has signed something that you own, it's at minimum worth $55,000. So, he had a job application that he filled out when he was in college. And it's, I saw it. It's this little piece of paper, and it's scribbled around a little bit. He didn't have very good penmanship. But it's worth $75,000 at auction for his job application. Why? It's a piece of paper. How much value does a piece of paper have intrinsically? Ten cents? Five cents? 
I mean, depending on how, how much bulk you buy it, right? But the second the pen of Steve Jobs touches it, it becomes worth $55,000. The most valuable thing that's been autographed is actually the Acts of Congress, signed by George Washington himself, and it is worth $9.8 million. I know, I wish I had that. <laughs> if you could find it bare in your backyard, you'd be in good shape. But y'all, even in our passage today, and there are lots of other passages also in the New Testament that say this, God signs you. That's what's happening. How much value does a human being have intrinsically? Right? I don't know. If you parted us out, sell the kiver, the, 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 kiver, the, the liver, the kidney, your, I don't know, your heart might be worth something. You know, there's, you could, there are items in your body that are intrinsically worth something, right? Your blood, maybe you could give that away. So, I mean, you might get up to like what? Does anybody know if you're medical? How much are we worth intrinsically? $5. No, it's got to be more than that. <laughs> I'd say more. I'd say like maybe fifteen, twenty thousand, 20,000 perhaps for a human body. Cadaver. Not when you've been signed by God. Infinite worth. Think about it for a minute. The hand of the maker has touched you. The hand of the maker has found you. Your worth has gone up dramatically. This is what Paul means when you have a new identity. You are no longer just the value of your parts. You have been signed by the maker. And the way that Paul talks about this, and the way, and both in our chapter today and other parts of the New Testament, is he says you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. What he's talking about is when you would send a letter in, the, in those times, in the Roman and Greek times, you would have a piece of wax where, you know, before you sent out the letter, you would stamp it with a seal. It was usually a ring from the king, and it had his sort of identifying mark, and he would seal it, and the Bible says you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have the autograph of the maker of the universe on your heart. Whoa! Value. Extremely high value. That's what you have. You have a new identity. You are a son and a daughter of the king. You now are going to live differently because of that. Think about Meghan Markle. You know I love to talk about Meghan Markle. She married into the royal family and she had to learn how to be a royal. And it's not easy. I looked it up this week. You have to hold your neck a certain way. When you sit down, you can only cross your leg at the ankles. You can't cross your legs like this because that would be unroyal or whatever term you want to use. Things are now different. This is what Paul is trying to get across for the people that he's writing to and for us. You have a new identity and things in your life are now different. You're not the same. You've got to live in a different way. You have been called to a different lifestyle. And that's what Paul is getting in to here today. He says, you're a part of the body of Christ. You, you are part of the body of Christ. You are part of Christ himself. You are a picture to the world of what it means to be stamped and sealed by the king of the universe. Woe. You get real love. You now are never going to be abandoned, Ever. You will never be left alone. You have one who will always love you and will never forsake you for the rest of time. Amen? Amen. Okay. So how do you live with a new identity? How do you live as a new person? Put away the old self. Get the new self to come in. Paul says right here. 
Okay, here you go. Your little outline time. Put off falsehood, or I should say, <laughs> sorry, full of truth, empty of falsehood. That's how Paul starts it out. He says, the way that you are going to live in real time with real people as a new person, someone who has been recreated by God, is you're going to put off falsehood and you're going to speak truthfully. This is how you build, enter into, and maintain community. Y'all, you have lied to me. You have. I have lied to you. You've lied to one another. We all do it. Lies are walls between people. And the reason we erect these walls between us and other people is so that we can hide. We have been doing it since day five. Or I don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden, but around day five. The first thing that happens after the uh, serpent convinces Adam and Eve to commit the first sin is they do what? Anybody? Anybody? They go and they hide. They're afraid of exposure. And this has been the story of human beings ever since. We hide from God, we hide from ourselves, and we hide from one another. And yet Paul here is saying, look, if you want to build true intimacy and community with other people, you have got to stop hiding. And it begins with stopping hiding from God. The way that we hide from God or the way that we erect walls between ourselves and God is through lies. Here are some of the lies you may have said to yourself or you may have heard other people say. If God really loved me, he would never have allowed fill in the blank. A lie. At least according to scriptures. Another one. If God was real, he would do blank and blank for me. You've, you, if you're like me, you've, you've said these things before in your heart. You've thought them before. But according to Scripture, they're lies. The reason I say according to Scripture they're lies is because it says in the Bible that all things work together for good for those that are loved by God and called according to His purpose. That's the truth. And so what we have to do is we have to combat the lies with the truth. That even though it feels like God doesn't care about me because he allowed X, Y, Z to happen in my life. It's not true. God does care about me and there's a reason he allowed X, Y, and Z to happen in my life. Or that he is currently allowing X, Y, Z to happen in my life. Y'all, that's hard. I'm like you. I'm with you. I want to hide. I want to be like, yeah, God just doesn't understand me. He just doesn't get my situation. He just, if he really, really loved me, it would think this and this would be different. I'm with you. But I have to take scripture and I have to take it and I have to push it all the way down into the very depth of my being, to the very center of my heart. And I have to let the scriptures get in root there and I have to let them grow and I have to let them have their way. And then and only then do I begin to come alive and begin to see the truth. This is what Paul is saying. Truth is incredibly important for the good life or the abundant life. Truth. Truth. So that's how we do it with God. But we also do it with ourselves. We hide from ourselves. We know these truths to be a part of what the gospel teaches. Things such as, I'm a miserable wretch, sinful beyond compare, 
and God loves me way more than I ever dared hope. Okay, so we know these things to be true. That's the gospel. But yet we play games with ourselves. We say things like, we look in the mirror and we're like, you're ugly. What? No. You've been stamped by the king. You have infinite value. You're not ugly. Nobody looks at the piece of paper that Steve Jobs has signed and says, that's ugly. They're like, this is incredible. I'm going to put it in a case and display it for all of my friends to see. I'm going to display it because it has beauty, because it's signed by Steve Jobs. And yet, why do we do this? We look in the mirror and we tell ourselves, you're ugly. You don't have what it takes. You're, you're a failure. You're, you're, you're a punk. We do this all the time to ourselves. You're stupid. You're not wanted. You're unable to change. See, you did it again. You ever told yourself that in the mirror? See, you're probably not a real Christian. You did it again. We've all been there. We've all been there. You're unlovable. You're a reject. Lies. They're lies. They're just not true. And God is saying, when I combat those with the truth, when it comes into your life and it begins to really dig down deep inside of you, you can find the joy of the truth. Again, superfluous life. Extra. It's like better than you even imagined. It's greater than you thought could be possible. You're loved more than you ever thought was even possible. That's the truth of the gospel working its way down deep into our hearts. Okay, so we hide, from, we hide from God with lies. This is what lies do in our life, lies. And guess, guess, guess who is the father of lies? Anybody? Anybody? Satan, right? He's called the accuser for a reason. He's called the deceiver for a reason. He lives in the world of lies. He knows that lies are the greatest way to keep evil active in your life. That's the way that Paul talks about evil in our lives. He says it's an active force that is at work within us. He says the thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the thing that I don't want to do, I do. It's an active force within me. These lies are constantly bearing down upon us and making us do things we don't want to do and making us think things we don't want to think. And and Satan is loving it. He loves it when lies begin to take over our life and we begin to cower and we begin to hide. Because that's the last thing I want to talk about for a minute. We hide from God with lies. We hide from self with lies. We hide from others with lies. That's the last part. He, Satan really, 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 really wants to keep us from each other. To build up an entire walls all around us so that we can hide behind them and we can be isolated. You know, and the reality is this. Um, we've all been burned. We've had people speak lies into our very life. And so we're afraid. So I want to acknowledge that this morning. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to really let you know me because I've been burned. Because I've opened up before. You've all done this. Opened up a little bit to someone, family member, friend. And you've said, hey, this is the real me. And they said, bam, and punched you right in that spot. And so you, like me, have gone, never again. Never again. But Paul is saying, y'all, the only way that we are going to get the superfluous life is by going, all right, all right, I'm going to do it again. Because I know God loves me. Because I know that I have someone who will never forsake me. I can enter into a relationship with other human beings and 
I can take the punches. Because the punches are going to come, but sometimes, once in a while, the hugs are going to come too. You've also had those, haven't you? The hugs. When you finally opened up to another human being. This is what Paul says. He says, this is what real community is like. This is what the true abundant life is like. It is entering into intimacy with other human beings and letting them know everything about you. Do you have someone in your life that knows everything about you? The, even the like secret stuff, the dark stuff? It's very important for us to have someone in our life that we can trust and that loves us, that knows it all. And if you don't, I would encourage you to, to try to seek it out. Try to find it. It's what Paul is calling. He says, put off falsehood and start living truthfully with God, with self, and with one another. Okay, let me just give a few little pointers. Oh, by the way, (laughs) it's 1051. I know what you're thinking. Is he seriously going to cover this whole passage? No. (laughs) Not even close. All we're hitting today is truthfulness and anger. That's it, okay? So let's, let's... couple little helpful, practical applications from the truthfulness part. Get the Word of God down deep in your heart. Get it down there, y'all. Push it. Read it. Meditate on it. Eat it for lunch and dinner. It's got to get down there. You've got to have something within you that is combating the lies that are flying at you on a minute-by-minute basis from your own brain, much less from the people around you, Right? who would love to see you destroyed because their egos are monstrous, just like yours. Okay, the other thing, we repent. This is what repentance is. This is what confession and assurance are all about. We've got to constantly be confessing. You know what? I am, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm actually worse than I would even describe to other people. And we've got to be honest about it so that Jesus can come in and tell us, well, guess what? My grace is bigger than that. And I love you over and above every sin that's in your life. We've got to be constantly repenting and believing the gospel. We have to be living with integrity. Integrity just means that you're the same person at home alone that you are out in public. That's all. It means integer. One. You're one person. You're not some sketchy weirdo who gets in their room. Not weirdo. That's not, that's not nice. Because I'm that weirdo, right? Sketchy person who gets in their room by themselves and it's like, okay, finally, now I can like sin freely. Ha! No, you want to be the same person there alone in the room that you are out in public, where you've got the checks and balances of people who are looking at you going, you know, you probably shouldn't do that. And that's a good check and balance to have. Good friends who will say that to you. Like, yeah, let's not snort cocaine. (laughs) Like, I think that's just a smart, sorry. (laughs) Okay. That's a distraction. Okay. Plug and forward. Also, we need to make... (laughs) Sorry, y'all. We need to make promises, y'all. We need to make promises. The way that you heal your past is to forgive. The way that you heal your past is to forgive. The way that you chart your future is to make promises. A promise is a way to write yourself a letter in the future and say, I'm going to stick with this. You know what? I'm going to do it. Even if it's going to be hard, and even if it's going to cause me to make sacrifices, I'm going to make promises. That's truthfulness. That's truthfulness. People love that. You will build deep trust with those around you in your life if you start to make some actual commitments and promises with them. 
It's awesome. Try it. Okay. Finally, final point. Be angry and do not sin, which, according to the outline, is full of anger, empty of sin. Full of anger, empty of sin. Most people approach this verse in the Bible and they're like, that's weird. Because I always thought the Bible taught people are just supposed to always be calm and be nice. Instead, the Bible says, a command for you is to be angry. Be angry. Do it. What? That's nuts. Let's unpack it. (laughs) Y'all, anger is action in defense of something you love, and it is an attack on something evil that is hurting what you love. Think about that for a minute. Anger is a defense of what you love, and it is an attack on that which is hurting what you love. How good is that? It's so good, right? If somebody walks into your home and starts beating on your children, you're going to put your arm around their neck and begin to pull them towards the front door. That's a good... It is good to be angry. It's better than you sitting on your couch and being like, yeah, sorry about that, kids. Ooh, that must hurt. But I'm in the middle of CSI, and there's no way I'm getting off this couch. That's bad. Be angry. Get off the couch. Defend your children, right? Defend something you love, right? If somebody walks in to this room and starts to just blaspheme the name of God or Jesus Christ, we're going to be like, oh, come on, let's give you a hug and let's move you out to the hallway, right? There's a a sense in which you're going to defend the Lord's name. Jesus did this with the Pharisees, right? We, We all hear about him. He went into the temple area and he started to overturn the tables. I mean, you can imagine there's stuff going out, flying everywhere and his anger is coming out. Why is his anger coming out? Because he loves God. And he's like, you are turning the house of my father into a den of thievery. You're making this in. You've essentially taken the worship place of the Lord and you've made it into Walmart. And rightly, he should be angry. He turned over the tables. And he does this with the Pharisees. He says, Pharisees, Pharisees. He's like, you've taken the good law of God. You've taken the love of God and you've twisted it. And you've made it into this horrible burden for people that is actually pushing people away from God, not drawing them near to God. Of course, I'm angry at what you're doing, not you. Right? It's like radiation. Anger's like radiation. You've got to put it towards the cancer. Don't put it towards the good cells. It's going to kill things that are good. Put it towards the cancer. Now, okay, let's confess. If you're like me, this is really hard to do. And Paul acknowledges that. Most of us have monstrous egos. And because we have monstrous monstrous egos, we tend to direct our anger at the person, not the problem. We just do an end around the evil that is taking place in the life of those around us or the things we need to protect, and we just go straight for the person. And we're like, you are the problem. I mean, how many times have you yelled at your kids, your friends, your mom, your dad, whatever? We all have let our anger out in that way, which is why Paul says, do not let the the sun go down on your anger. What does Paul mean when he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger? What he means is, deal with it now. Deal with it today. 
if you've got an issue with someone, whether it's in this church or somebody at work or a friend or a, a family member. Because what happens at night is the reason that I check each of the little knobs on our stove that is in our kitchen. I make sure that each one of them is pointed towards off. Because if it's pointed towards on, it means that there's gas that's shooting into our house overnight. And even though you can kind of smell it, you may be so small you can't really smell it. And I've heard about families dying in the middle of the night because of carbon monoxide poisoning. So I turn them all off. But imagine if you left it on overnight, full bore. And you woke up the next morning, mm, something smells weird, you know, and then you go to light your cigarette next to the bed, which I don't do that, but someone might. And you, you, you light it, boom, boom, the house goes, you know, and it's like an explosion. All your neighbors here and everybody comes running out and your entire family is dead. Bad news. This is what Paul is trying to get across. Paul is saying, sorry, Paul is saying, when you lay in bed at night and you think about that person who hurt you, or you think about that thing that happened to you, it's like leaving the gas on. Your tendency the next day is to blow. Instead of going to the person and being like, hey, we need to work this out. I feel like there's some real tension here. There's a real problem between us. You come to them and you're like, you, you monster, how could you have done this to me? I've done this. Happened to me. My last job, I let it, the, uh, my supervisor was, was doing some things to me that I thought were unjust because, oh, my ego, heaven forbid my ego gets, you know, tweaked a little bit. And so I let it fester for days, overnight, it builds. And I'm in, finally, I'm like, I'm going to talk to him about it. So I go into his office and I'm like, here are the ways that you are being unjust to my monstrous ego. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that. I was like, and I just start attacking the person that's across from me, blow up on them. And boy, I almost got fired. You may have done something similar. We've all been there. Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it now. Also, he says, don't let the devil get a foothold. What does he mean by that? Well, think of it like this. Anger is incredibly powerful and explosive. Imagine, he, think of it this way. You know those big trucks you have to climb up a ladder to get into the driver's seat? The ones they do for the big mining operations? You know what I'm talking about, Henry? They're massive. This is kind of like that. That's what he means when he says, don't get devil a foothold. The devil is going to climb right up the ladder of your anger in your life. And he's going to plop himself right down there in the driver's seat, put his hands on the wheel and be like, let's destroy some stuff. It happens all the time. Families are destroyed this way. Relationships are destroyed. Friendships are destroyed. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't give the devil a foothold, y'all. Anger can be incredibly volatile and dangerous. Incredibly volatile and dangerous. Okay, let's end with this. What do we do about it? How do we deal with anger? How do we put on the new self? How do we live the abundant or superfluous life? I thought of a few things from Scripture. The first is this. Remember who you are. Loved and accepted and adopted and given a new name. Why? Why are you loved by God, accepted by God, given a new name by God. Why do those things happen in your life? 
grace alone. You offer nothing. You brought nothing to the table. There's nothing special about you. Grace alone. Grace alone allows us to do what Paul directs us to do in Philippians when he says, consider others better than yourself. He's not kidding when he says that. He's not kidding when he says, consider others better than yourself. What person in your life do you say, that person's a jerk. I can't stand them. That kid, jerk. Boss, jerk. Guy that I work with, jerk. My kids, jerks. (laughs) Right? You've got them in your life. Paul says, God says, consider them better than yourself. Whoa. Grace. We are on a quest called by God to kill the selfish ego in our hearts. It's ego destruction. Jesus says, take the low seat. He says, the seed of adultery and murder is in you too. He's like, you ever hated someone? Yeah. You ever lusted after someone? Yeah. Guess what? The seed of adultery is in your heart. The seed of murder is in your heart. You're no better. You're no different. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Y'all, if you really get this into the depth of your soul, the anger begins to go, my ego is not the most important thing in the world. I don't have to defend it at every turn. I don't have to cuss out and flip off the person who cut in front of me at the stop sign. Why? Because my ego is not at stake here. Consider others better than yourself. I did it yesterday. I'm pulling out of Kale Elementary. It's where Lyndon was having a soccer game. And I'm pulled up behind this car that is blocking my way to get onto whatever road I need to get onto to get home. And I'm behind them. And they are, they're chit-chatting. It's a guy and a girl. They are lovebirds, and they are just wooing all each other. You know, she's got her phone out, and they're looking up things on the internet, and they're just, oh, they're just having such a good time. And I'm like, what do I do? I can't get around them, but I have to get to the baseball game that I'm a coach of, and I'm in a really big hurry. I was like, okay, I could yell out the window. They're going to take that wrongly because their windows were down. I'm like, they're going to be like, he's a jerk. Because I'm like, their egos, like mine, are huge. So I sit there and I'm like, okay, I could just sit here and just wait for a really, 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 really long time until they notice that there's a car behind them, but it doesn't look like they're noticing that. They're focused on one another. Yay! So I'm like, okay, Nathan, you're going to have to honk. And yeah, and if you're like me, honking is like somebody punching you in the ego. (laughs) Even if you didn't notice the light changed to green, and you were on your phone, when somebody honks at you, you're like, ah! So I'm like, all right, here goes nothing. I just, I mean, because I was thinking about this sermon. I'm like, we all have egos, but I really got to get to this baseball game. Do I have to get the baseball game? Oh, I don't know. I was like, maybe I'll just be late. I'll just give them a great excuse about how I got stuck in traffic or whatever, but ugh, I just really want to get there. So I went, eh, and I did a tiny little thing. What happens? The girl who's, I mean, they are, just loving each other. She turns around with this look of death on her face and it's like, and I was like, I know, I know. I was like, my ego is the same way. I am no better than you. And they moved out of the way and finally got to go to the game. But y'all, it's all of us. Consider others better than yourself and start killing that ego a little bit. Finally, melt the anger out by saying, 
If God was angry at me and not sin, what would happen to me? He destroyed, utterly destroyed sin on the cross, killed death once and for all. What if that was directed at us instead of the sin? Right? Utter destruction. And so God is teaching us how to melt our anger by his own actions. It says, be imitators of God, just like Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's going to get to at the beginning of chapter 5. Melt that anger. Y'all, this, pa- this section of the scriptures is incredibly practical. We're going to learn about truthfulness. We're going to learn about anger. We're going to learn about what it means to not have harsh talk, corrupt talk in our lives. We're going to learn about all these awesome practical things. Stick with it. It is the superfluous, abundant, wonderful life. Let's pray. Lord God, you are the one who works within us. You are the one who makes us new. Lord, I pray that you would help me to live the new life. And I pray that you would help everyone here today to live the new life, the abundant life. Lord, the life that is from above, that is not natural, it's not just ethical. Lord, it's new. It's new. We have been autographed by the King of the universe. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room would be reminded freshly of how you love us, even in our sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.